0: Shalom. This week's parsha is Parsha Miketz, and we are the Toronto Torah Podcast, brought to you by Beit Midrash Zichron Dove. Each week, we will offer a different look at this week's Torah portion. One conversation a week, every week. And today, let's talk about dreams. Long railway, Steven Gottlieb! Shalom Dan. Have you ever had a dream that troubled you so much and you wanted to understand its meaning?
1: Yeah, yeah, a few times.
0: A few times. <laughs> well, imagine, imagine, go, go, go with me on that one. Imagine that you are the ruler of the strongest and wealthiest kingdom in the world. And then, one night, you have a dream. Or it's better to say a nightmare. You wake up in panic, wondering, what exactly did this dream mean? This is exactly how Parshat Miketz opens. Two years after the conclusion of Parshat Vayeshev last week, while Joseph is still in jail, Pharaoh has two dreams. In the first one, he dreams about seven fat cows and seven skinny cows that emerge from the Nile River, and the skinny cows swallow the fat cows. And then another dream, and this time about seven healthy bundles of wheat and seven thin ones. And the thin one, the thin bundles swallowed the healthy ones. So Pharaoh wakes and wants someone to tell him what exactly the dream means. But his astrologers and and all his, his smart people in his kingdom aren't able to offer a satisfactory explanation. Until his chief butler, however, has an idea. He tells Pharaoh about his Hebrew fellow. Joseph who's locked up in jail and he's a really really good interpreting dreams Yeah, and Pharaoh
1: decides you know what? Why not? I've had so many people try. Let's give this guy a shot So he brings Yosef from prison Tells him his dreams and Joseph explains that the seven fat cows and the seven healthy bundles of uh, grain all represent seven good years that are going to come to Egypt will really be enough food for everyone but the skinny cows and the, the unhealthy bundles represent seven years of famine, where unfortunately there will not be enough food. So Joseph gives Pharaohs a series of recommendations on how he can uh, make the country better, how he can use the, the time that they have to be able to prepare adequately for what's coming, and urges them to save food away so that they could have saved four years of famine. A recommendation that has the effect of helping Egypt be one of the only major providers of food in the
0: region during that time. <laughs> and that that's actually really pays off. It pays off very well for Joseph, right? Because, well, see what happens next. Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife, right? And a new name, which is a very interesting discussion about what is exactly this new main name means and in what, exactly what language is it. But above all, Joseph is appointed as the second in command of all of Egypt. Only Perot is above him. And once the famine
1: finally, uh, finally comes, and Yosef is, uh, you know, he, he knew it was coming, he predicted, he was ready, the country was ready, and who, uh, who comes for the famine but Yosef's own brothers with, uh, with the people who are going to get grain from them. And Yosef notices them, he recognizes them, and yet they don't recognize him because he's changed so, so much. So he ends up tricking them into thinking that he's uh, not their brother he uh, questions them, invites them in, and ultimately sets uh, sets them up so that when they leave, they find his golden goblet in uh, his brother Benjamin's um, sack,
0: which is a big cliffhanger at the end of the parsha. <laughs> it's a huge, yeah, yeah, right. And then they want to prison. Uh, he wants to prison Benjamin, but uh, Yehuda promised to Yaakov that he will he will return uh, Benjamin safe and sound back. So. This in this climax, the parsha ends. But Rabbi Stephen, I want to get back to the beginning of this parsha. The Torah opens with an objective description, right, of the dreams that Paro dreamt. <speaking in Hebrew> right, <speaking in Hebrew> but then, when Paro is telling to Joseph about the dreams, the Torah describes all over again the same dreams. What is the meaning of this repetition? If you read closely how Poirot is describing his dreams to Joseph. We can notice that he changes some facts and adds some other details that the Torah did not mention. For example, Reb Steven Poirot mentions, right, that when the thin cows had consumed the fat cows, one could not tell that they had consumed them at all, for they looked just as bad as before. But this important detail is missing. The Torah is not saying that this specific sentence, this specific detail, at the beginning of the Parsha. It's amazing for the initial description of the Torah at the beginning of the Parsha. There are some changes, not only that, such as the fact that Paro is mentioning the health situation of the cows, the fact that they are beriot, before their beauty, before the Yafot mare or Yafot Torah, which is another change. But the Torah at the beginning mentions, first of all, how the cows looked like, and then their health situation. There's a Medrash in the book of Tzoram Idrashim, which is it's a collection of Idrashim that was edited by Rebbe Yehuda Eisenstein, that says that Paro changes the dreams when he told them to Joseph on purpose, to test him and to see if he's a real interpreter for the dreams, if he really knows what he's talking about. But I want to add another option of reading these changes. I think that we should read the interpretation of Joseph to these dreams in the context of Pharaoh's narrative and not the Torah's narrative. What do I mean? That means that when Joseph interpreted the dreams, he actually interpreted the already interpretation of Pharaoh himself. Just like the Ibn Ezra says on Pharaoh's addition to the dream, he says, and I quote, Here Pharaoh expanded, says the Ibn Ezra. Pharaoh expanded in his description of the dreams. And in order to explain a dream, Every dream, the dreamer must first overcome the language barrier, which is a huge barrier, and to articulate his thoughts. <laughs> but by doing so, he had explained his dream already, right? You know, every time someone asks me uh, how how I met my wife, Priel, I have my story, I have my narrative. But every time Priel hears how I hears how I tell the story, she has a different Totally different story. She thinks I'm I'm uh, missing a lot of details from the story. So as we well, all know I mean, how that same, feels. You know how that feels exactly, exactly. So the same was with dreams. When when Paro is telling his dream to Yosef, and Yosef's explanation to this dream is not on the objective dream, but rather on the explanation of Paro himself. Rashi also echoes this idea, actually. On the fact that no one could interpret these dreams of Pharaoh, he says, and I quote again, And there was none that could interpret it to Pharaoh, says Rashi. There were indeed some who interpreted it, but not a reference to Pharaoh, so that their words found no acceptance by him, and he was not satisfied with their interpretation. In other words... Joseph told Perot what Perot wanted to hear, and the first interpretation was already made not by Joseph, but by Perot himself.
1: I think that's a really, really interesting point. And that Rashi that you, uh, that you quoted from, himself, quoting from the Medrash Rabbah, I think really important to, uh, to think about here. As you said, there were those who interpreted for Pharaoh, but not in a way that he heard. Of a low They didn't do it in a way that would be acceptable uh, to him. You know, it went, uh, it went in one ear and out the other, or it didn't even go in at all. I think Rashi says it just didn't even enter his, uh, his ears. He didn't <laughs> want to listen to them. Because he knew that this wasn't the interpretation that was, uh, that was most fitting. And some of the interpretations did actually, you know, have what to do with him. Some of them said that it was about maybe uh, daughters that he would have, whatever it would be. But he, he thought it was something grander than that. Why would these dreams be repeating so much if not for the fact that there's something important to say, something bigger than just, uh, than just this? And it was only when he, when he got Yosef, and Yosef finally gave him the interpretation that was most relevant, then he was able to really kind of understand this and we actually have an idea though of dreams following after their interpretation the gemara mishechas brachos talks about this a lot they talk about this concept of a dream uninterpreted huh. being like a letter unopened you got a letter in the mail you don't know what's in it you're not going to know what's in it unless you actually open it and rashi there actually goes even farther he says lo tove the lo ra they're not good or bad inherently rather they follow after their interpretation. And then that Gemara continues with many, many, many stories of individuals who had a dream interpreted and the interpretation affecting what they're supposed to be doing, what they're dealing with, and how in fact they end up living as a result of that dream. We really see that it's almost as if the perception of the dream ends up becoming reality to the point where part of that story involves two people who had the same dream, but one was interpreted well, one was interpreted badly, and lo and behold, the one who interpreted good for it has, a, has a good, the one who interpreted badly has it bad, and this is really a concept that we have so, so much in our tradition.
0: It's really, really interesting. You know that the change of Yosef from being the, this young boy whose siblings make laugh of him. He's a dreamer, right? He has those dreams from last Parsha. Two dreams as well. All the way until he becomes the second in command on the entire kingdom of Egypt. It's fascinating. Thinking of Yosef's life in this way, maybe we can understand a little bit more about his interpretation, to the interpretation of of Perot, right? Because Yosef's life could be hopeless. Think of what happened to him. He, his, his siblings made laugh of him, right? They threw him into a pit. And when he thought he could get out and start a new life, where in Egypt, he finds himself very quickly back in prison. But he's not giving up, right? He's using his skills in giving good interpretation to dreams in order to become greater, in order to rise himself up. And I think this change of Yosef is a reflection of a bigger change. I think actually the bigger change of Yosef, or maybe not bigger, maybe we'll say a more fundamental and basic change of Yosef, would be actually the change from being the dreamer to being the one who dreamers come to. I think changing yourself from someone who only has dreams to someone who acts, and not only acts, Right? We know that the Ramban, for example, he says that everything that Yosef did in our parasha, he did, why? In order to make, to fulfill his dreams, to make them happen. He will prove to his siblings that he was right. So changing himself from being the dreamer to be the one who executes the dream himself, only by doing so, he manages also to lift himself up from that, really, really, really low places that he was all the way up until to be the second in command of all Egypt.
1: Yeah, I think that's such an important, powerful idea. And it actually speaks to another idea that I had in mind, an idea brought by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov in the luchut moharan his uh, work of teachings. And he has this powerful concept that he calls the Lashon HaTargum, the Language (laughs) of Translation. That basically you have two fundamental languages. You have the secular language and you have holy language. And you don't
0: have Google Translate in between, right? Exactly.
1: But in between, what you do have is the Lashon HaTargum, when you take that unholy language and take that which is useful in it and bring it into the holy language through a targum, through a translation. And it's in fact that ability to translate it, to bring it into our lives, to take the good from even the bad and to turn it into something holy that I think is what Yosef was really able to learn how to do during his time in Egypt. But how was he able to do that? That's my big question. Because we know that it doesn't necessarily always work that way. That when you are in this kind of a position and you have this ability you're not necessarily going to know the direction to use it in. Mm-hmm. Rav Shagar, who I know you're, uh, <laughs>
0: you enjoy quoting. So. Who believed it in the first podcast of <laughs> Bet Midrash Lichron Dov, Rabbi Steven Rodriguez, Rav Shagar, and Ami. Every
1: day in our base <laughs> midrash, Shidan is uh, the first to quote Rav Shagar. I thought I would beat him to it now. So Rav Shagar says in one of his uh, drashot for for the holiday of Hanukkah, so he he says, and I'll read an English translation. I believe translated by Rabbi Levi Morrow. Should an individual seek out the truth through their own subjective experience or should they rather find it in the absolutist objective realm of reality? Once a person apprehends the truth as a construction of their own subjective internal experience, the concept of truth loses its totality and becomes relativized. Truth instead becomes dependent upon one's specific perspective, their emotions, their feelings and personal experiences, susceptible to all kinds of outside influences, and thus There was a subsequent loss of authenticity. So what's Rishigar saying there? Rishigar is saying that in the the postmodern world that we live in, it's hard to ground ourselves in our truth. And we need to replace that what was once objective and so easy to find with an internal understanding of what reality is. And so do we go about that completely subjectively or do we try to find some kind of objective reality to align ourselves with? Because if we do it and it's entirely subjective, what's gonna happen? We're going to not be able to find the best way forward. We're gonna keep thinking, oh, it's about me, me, me. I'm gonna go the way I wanna go. And it just ends up becoming a, a free for all and ultimately will lead it to, uh, to selfishness. So you need to find something to root yourself in, something to push yourself forward, even in a lack of any clear interpretation. And when it comes to dreams, I think it's all the more so. Because we don't know necessarily what they mean. We just know that we're going to interpret it a particular way. And what metric are we going to use for that interpretation, both in dreams and in life? And that's what I think Yosef really learned in this week's Parsha. Because when he comes and he's able to actually interpret Tzu his dream, he says, it's not me who did it. It's a Kadosh Baruch Hu. Right. Hashem gave me this ability to understand what dreams were saying. And I'm going to use that to help, but really, the one who's answering you, the one who's giving this interpretation, is not me, but it's Hashem who gave me this ability. Yosef, for the first time, was able to reach beyond himself, was able to say, you know, it's not all about me. I don't have to be the center of attention. It's Hashem, and I'm just a spokesperson for him. And that maturity... Was able to let him get the position he was able to get to. That ability to say, this is about more than just me, to align himself with Ratsun Hashem in a literal way is what moved him there because he had that grounding.
0: I think that in this in this case, Rip Steven, I think the student overcame the teacher. <laughs> right, because who who's who's the biggest dreamer so far? His father, right? Yaakov. Yaakov is a dreamer. We know about the dreams of Yaakov in Parashat Vayetze, right? Yaakov when he lay down on the stone and had this dream about the, the ladder and the angel coming back and forth. But what did Yaakov do with this? Was this dream? Do you remember what Yaakov did in Parashat Vayetze? Yaakov said, Elohim vezeu This place is the place of God." But there was no call to action from this dream of Yaakov. Yaakov did not wake up the next morning acting differently or changing himself because of the dream. There are some parshanim who say that when Yaakov wrestled and fought with the angel, some say that wasn't the dream and not really in the reality of the world. But if we stick to the pshat, then Yaakov did not really take any actions from his dreams, not like Yosef. And maybe in this case, we can find that Yosef has a little bit even overcome himself and over outdone himself, not like Yaakov did. And just like Yaakov, we know he's a very dynamic character, right? He changed himself. He was first described as Ishtam Yoshevo Alim, right? Someone who stays in camp. But afterwards, he's described Ki Im Elohim ve Im Anashim, because you wrestled with angels or with God and with people and you overcome. This is a change of a figure right? He started from being in camp, ishtam, almost indifference, to becoming someone who wrestles with God. That's kind of a change to a character like Yaakov. And I think Yosef's character is in this shadow of change. But he did not only manage to change himself from, again, from the lowest point possible of a human being, but also to change himself from being the dreamer to becoming the executor for these dreams. And I think this this is maybe why Yosef is what we called Yosef HaTzadik, right? Maybe from this we can understand that Yosef's role in Jewish history is maybe bigger than what we think. Maybe Yosef is the direct continuation to the three Avot. We had Abraham, we had Yitzchak, and now we have Yaakov, but we also have Yosef. And Yosef is the direct continuation of those Avot because we can find a little bit of each of. each of We can find Avraham in, in Yosef how? Because both Avraham and Yosef, they were called Ivri, right? We can find Yitzchak in Yosef how? Just like Yitzchak was the generation between generations. He was the generation that, he was between Avraham, his great father, and his son, right? Yaakov. Yosef as well, he's, he serves as a middleman, as a broker. Between what? Between the Avot, Generation and the generation to come that we will read in Egypt about Bnei Israel, B'nai Mitzrayim. And we can find Yaakov in Yosef as well. Where? In changing yourself. In starting in the Torah with one role, changing yourself all the way to the other side. And maybe this makes Yosef a very good character to finish Sefer Bereshit with.
1: I think so. I'd go in a little bit of a different direction with him. I think what really is able to make him stand out, and this is spoilers a little bit for next <laughs> week's Parsha, is that when you think about the history of siblings in Torah, so you have Cain uh, and Hevel, which were not… Uh, Didn't very well. Not, right, not model siblings. <laughs> you have Yaakov and Esav, which, you know, there's a little bit of reconciliation there, but things are, you know, they go their separate ways. It's not exactly a full reunion. And now we have Yosef. And Yosef is actually able to ultimately have everyone together once again, albeit in Mitzrayim, not in, not in Eretz Israel, but they're able to really come back together and share a family once more. Their father's back there also. Everyone's able to come and really join again as one family for the first time in a really long time. And that's not something to knock. That's really incredible. And he was able to do that only because he learned to interpret his dreams not in the way that was selfish, not in the way that put him above everyone else, like, uh, like initially. But was able to interpret dreams in a way that's best for all those around him, his entire uh, country, and soon his entire uh, family as well. Being able to really walk in the proper direction with Hashem by his side and understanding what his role was in that as first a dreamer and then the interpreter of dreams.
0: Thank you, Reverend Stephen Gottlieb. Thank you. That was beautiful. My pleasure. All right. Good Chavez. Good Chavez, everyone. That's all for today. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe, share, and like this podcast. And follow us, Beit Midrash Zichron Dov, on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow Idan Rakowski and Rabbi Stephen Gottlieb on Facebook. We'll be back next week with a new conversation on a new Parsha. Thank you, and goodbye.